I'm Susan Branscombe, and this is Leading She, a podcast where women who are leaders in their industries, companies, and most importantly, their lives, share inspiring stories about obstacles they've overcome. 40 years of working in a male-dominated industry has prepared me for the task of interviewing these courageous, successful women, and to share stories and insights of my own along the way. Listen up, future leaders. This is Leading She. We are in tech and data fields, and we experiment all the time. How many experiments fail before the right one works where you file a patent? So you should be ready to fail a few times before the right one sticks. Today on Leading She, I have Dee Sangeeta, who goes by Sangeeta and is a PhD founder and CEO of Gotara, whose mission is to offer career support and a global career network platform to women in STEM professions, which stands for, of course, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. After a 26-year career in which she held leadership and research positions in the STEM world and has 26 patents, Sangeeta decided to leave her role at Amazon as Vice President of Connections in the middle of the pandemic, spring of 2020, to launch Gotara.com. She launched Gotara because she wants to address the gender gap in STEM. She says, my dream is to use human ingenuity and data science to disrupt gender imbalance in the STEM worlds. That's how Gotara came to life. Now the company has members from over 166 countries and has over 20,000 members. Employers partner with Gotara to attract, grow, and retain talent and improve their overall diversity and inclusion culture. Gotara provides confidential and personalized career advice and support for women in STEM 24-7, whether they are landing their first job or striving for career advancement through career advice from seasoned professionals. Sangeeta has a PhD in materials chemistry, an MS in chemistry, and was with General Electric Global Research Center and nine years at GE Aviation, nine years at Nielsen, and three years at Amazon. She grew accustomed to often being the only senior woman in the room, which many of my guests have been. So welcome, Sangeeta. Thank you, Susan, for the invite. I'm looking forward to having a chat with you. Yeah, it's I'm excited, too. I did uh, listen to a lot of your podcast and did a lot of reading of articles that you've written. And uh, I think I understand your background. And so I've got some great questions for you. Thank you. I want to start by asking uh, about your name. You like to go by one name, Sangeeta. Uh, so why is that? Oh, this is an interesting question. It could take a little longer than you expect. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I'd love to hear. Uh, so um, uh, Sangeeta is my given name, and uh, my family's name is Dixit, D-I-X-I-T. And uh, when I got married, uh, my husband's last name was really long, so I really didn't take it. And then my dad said, oh, I think you should take his name. And so I took it, and people in the U.S. just massacred the name. (laughs) And one time I was on uh, NPR as a guest, and if, if my family and friends were listening, they would have no idea who that person was. 
And we, my husband and I have been talking about it and uh, changing the last name. So that was the afternoon we decided to go to the court and change our names. Mm. So the choices were, I said, you can take your name, last name and take the first part of the last part. And he didn't like that. So he said, he said, I said, you could take my last name, but that didn't happen. (laughs) And then we came up with this new nomenclature where our family's name was the first initial and our given name was the last name. So when our daughter was born, uh, her name is Dipali, which is her last name. And her uh, uh, first two initials are S and M for our names. And so it's neither matriarchic nor patriarchic. Okay. Yeah. Equality, even in your daughter's name. Yeah. Yes. That's cool. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't take my husband's last name and my daughter, we named her middle name is my last name, Branscombe, uh, but she took her father's name, Snyder, and then got married and it's Culver now. But uh, yeah, that's, that's really cool. It's kind of like Cher, right? We don't need to say Cher's last name, right? (laughs) (laughs) So, um, but wow, what a varied and interesting career you've had. You um, have held STEM positions at Amazon, GE and Nielsen and in aviation industry and technology, and you've held marketing positions and uh, and and finally started your own company. All very male-dominated areas. You've led global teams of five thousand plus with budgets of more than two hundred million. And I understand you have all these patents, twenty-six patents. So, what I see in you is someone who has taken everything you've learned in your career, all the technical knowledge, uh, leadership experience, career experience, different companies. And you saw the need to help women in STEM, and you're filling it. So give me a, before we start talking about guitar, tell me just a little bit about what you did in summary at, at, at these companies, because it is varied. Yeah. So you, as you can see, I have a PhD in material science. That's what I wanted to do, and I wanted to retire as an uber scientist with patterns and stuff. So early part of my career, I did that at GE. And in GE, I was very lucky to be in GE at that time. And uh, once they identified uh, a high potential talent, they would actually helicopter you into new jobs every two years uh, or so. And they would, and you would have zero background in that in that role. And they would see how you did. So first six months used to be hell because you're learning, you're really understanding the team dynamics, and you're understanding the work that they do and all that. And that's how I got to do a lot of different things from uh, going from science and technology to marketing, to operations, to mergers and acquisitions, to quality, to risk management, very, very different jobs. And they were tough. They were all very tough. But what it gave me was this confidence, like I can do any job. So which are the jobs I don't like versus which are the jobs I like? And it kind of repeated at Nielsen. And uh, and interestingly enough, at Amazon, the same thing happened where uh, I had never worked in HR. I reported to the chief uh, people officer at uh, Amazon. So I was not an HR person, but I was a product and technology person to bring in uh, a platform that uh, Amazon needed. Um, so, um, so that's kind of in summary my career. So I have done a lot of different things, and I was ready to do something that I really wanted to do on my second mountain to say, how can I make a bigger impact in a sustainable way? 
Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, we tell women in the podcast, uh, the listeners, uh, a lot of my women have gone into uh, have taken on positions where they didn't know really what they were getting into. They weren't perfectly prepared for those positions. And we always say, jump, go go for it. And did, were you scared at GE when you had these different positions every two years? Uh, it sounds like you just take these challenges on and just say, hey, I, I can do this. So the first time when that happened, I was really scared. Mm. So I, I was Typical scientist working in lab with goggles and lab coat and steel toe boots. I was doing my science and technology stuff. And in a review, uh, I was a scientist, a, a, a kind of a junior person. And at the uh, one day review, one of uh, uh, the corporate officers from GE Aviation uh, tapped me on the shoulder and said, would you be interested in marketing? I was like, what? What? What is marketing? I am a yeah. PhD marketing. Right. I couldn't <laughs> understand that. But I had to take it seriously because he was a senior guy and I didn't understand how GE worked at that time. And I talked to a couple of people outside my organization and I said, you know, I am really, I have a good standing at my, at corporate research and development at GE. If it doesn't work out and I, I can always go back because they were all very upset that I considered this role. They wanted me to stay. Yeah. And so I took the chance. I said, worst comes to worst, I'll just come back. And if it doesn't work out. And in fact, the marketing leader here in Cincinnati uh, in GE Aviation uh, told me point blank that I'm taking a risk on you. I've never hired PhDs in my organization. Mm. And uh, so I, I was between a hard and a rock place. Like I'm considering I'm risking my own career to take this. And the person who's hiring me also say, saying that. But he had to uh, kind of uh, look into this new way of doing things because a corporate officer had suggested that. And uh, and within six months, we did a review and everything worked out great. And looking back, I'd do it again. So that gave me the confidence. And then when I took new jobs after that, I didn't sweat so much yeah. about it yeah. after the first time. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's great. Yeah. I mean, that's the that's the thing. Like, OK, don't you, you might be scared, you know, but try it anyway. There's somebody out there that feels like you you are qualified for it and you may not feel that way. But um, give it a try. In like fact, you say, what's the worst that can happen? Right. Yeah. In fact, what I say is if somebody thinks you can do something different than what you're doing, that's a vote of confidence yes. in you. Right. Follow it. Right. Follow exactly. It. Exactly. And your leaders have a better uh, purview of things in the organization. And they can tell you, like, you have flappers on because you know your job and maybe a couple of other jobs. The bigger leaders have bigger visibility. Mm -hmm. So they're going to pull you in different directions that you had no idea you could do. Right. Yeah. Yeah, follow the path before you. There's a book mm -hmm. I'm reading right now, Michael Singer, The Surrender Experiment. And mm -hmm. he talks about no matter what the path is that's being put before you, don't fight it. Just just follow it, and it will yeah. lead you where you need to go next, and just uh, just trust it. Yeah. Uh, well, Gotara, um, you formed this company during the pandemic and um, started it then. So tell us what you do. I'm, I'm really curious about it. I think I understand it. Um, and, and why did you start the company? So, uh, you know, 
throughout my career, as you just mentioned um, in the beginning of the podcast, um, that um, I grew up in a male-dominated industry in college and all that. And uh, I felt like I was successful. I got lucky. Whatever the reason may be, I was able to reach the executive positions in each one of the companies I worked at. And there weren't many women. And I said, why is that? I want more women to be in the senior roles. And is there a way I can teach them? And so I started enjoying mentoring and coaching. And then, uh, so 75% of my network was men. So I coached and mentored them too. Mm -hmm. So when people would come and tell me, hey, that 15 minute conversation last year just really changed the trajectory of my career. And you hear that and you say, how do I do this more? How do women like me can do this more? Because I know there are a lot of my colleagues who want to do this. And we are all so busy, 150%. We can't take that coffee chat at 10 a.m. or 2 p.m. going to a school or college to help others. What can we do that would be on the go? And do it in a way that is sustainable, working with employers so there is a skin in the game with both employers and individuals. Mm -hmm. And that is why we launched a platform that is scalable to millions of women. So mm -hmm. my hope is we eventually reach all 30 million women, uh, STEM plus women across the globe. Well, you're on your way. It's been impressive growth. <laughs> um, and where do you find, you have two sets of folks you, you I guess you would call clients or part of the company. And one is individual women who are in STEM careers. And then the other are advisors. How do you, how do you find the advisors? Are they all women? Um, I, I think, uh, I, I, I think I would uh, change the narrative a little bit. I think there are three stakeholders. Okay. There are individual women who are benefiting from the platform. There are advisors who want to give back, mm -hmm. advisors and coaches. And the third one is employers. They are actually um, sponsoring some of these women to uh, accelerate their careers, mm -hmm. to retain them and accelerate their careers. So the programs we offer, they're all by star names, star programs, where women come in and do a, uh, a two-month, two eight-week uh, sprint. We call it a career sprint. Okay. And, uh, um, and, uh, and, and they do upskilling and mentoring and coaching all in one, what we call nano learning. Um, so individuals benefit, yeah, individuals benefit from it, managers benefit from the nano learning, and the employers benefit from the nano learning. Mm -hmm. um, and advisors are providing that nano learning as well uh, on the spot. Like if you ask for an advice, well, it's a sensitive issue. You can't ask anybody else. And you can be very open and share that anonymously. And somebody who's lived in your shoes is going to respond to you within 24 hours. Mm -hmm. So the, the uh, women that are getting the advice, are their companies paying for it? Or are they paying for the cost? So there is a, there is a B2C side for the advice, which is free. And any women across the globe can ask for that advice. Okay. And then there are start programs that are career sprints, uh, which are sponsored by employers. Okay. And and uh, so when uh, individuals are sponsored by employers, they get this upskilling in addition to the mentoring and coaching. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the company says, hey, we've got these women that are in STEM in our company. We really want to make sure they're supported. They come to you in your company. 
and then uh, and make sure these women are supported. I, I guess the women are saying, "Hey, I would love to get this support," and the company's saying, "Yes, we'd love to have you, you know, uh, engage in this." Right? So that's how I, it works. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think the women love it, and the employers are loving it. And in fact, in most cases, it's the employers who have recognized the women to say. We care. We want you to stay with us mm -hmm. and we want you to grow. I mean, that simple message, even before they enroll in the program, itself does wonders to these mm -hmm. women. And, uh, and, and I'm really thankful for the employers who have, um, uh, who have worked with us and, uh, and really enjoying it. All the employers uh, enjoying, meaning the individuals are enjoying it and they're seeing the benefit of it. Uh, and unlike um, a lot of companies in this field, coming from technical field, I wanted to understand the return on investment. And mm -hmm. I wanted to actually have a hardcore metric not a metric, but multiple metrics. So not just saying, yeah, I feel motivated, or I feel like a stronger leader, I feel more engaged. I wanted to say, what percent did you apply your learning, your nano learning back at work? Mm -hmm. uh, did you, what percent uh, of you completed the program? Uh, what percent of the goal that you set out, the three to six month goal that you completed? What percent of advice did you actually uh, implement? Yeah. Those are the things that directly impact your promotion, your retention, your movement, mm -hmm. which impacts your productivity and top line growth of the company. Mm -hmm. And so many examples that the individuals have uh, shared where they're applying, it's directly impacting the productivity and it's directly impacting the top line growth of the company. We have real examples. Yeah, that's great. Um, do the do the advisors are they paid or are they just offering advice? So the B two C side, where advisors might actually provide advice once a month, once in three months, it takes them five to ten minutes, is free to individuals, and it's uh, uh, it's a give back from the advisor to the community. Mm -hmm. uh, on the paid side, where employers are uh, paying for the participants, that's where the coaches are paid. I see. How? Uh, yeah. Give me an example of of what kind of advice a woman might be looking for that is given to her. Give me an example. Yeah, it, it could be something like um, I, I was in a meeting last week and my manager presented the work that he and I have been working on. And he never gave me credit once where 80, 90% of the work I did. Um, and I really like working with the guy, but I feel annihilated. I feel like I should get the credit that I have done, done this work. And what do I go say? I didn't say anything in the meeting. And this is where um, uh, one of the advisors will provide some advice how to course correct so you get the credit you need without really ruining your relationship with your manager and with others. Yeah, I like that. <clears throat> And, um, you know, a lot of, um, I'm going to give a statistic here that you cite, um, but, you know, as a, as a young woman, she may have kept that to herself and then sort of quietly left, right? Because that's right. what I'm seeing here in the information that on your, uh, that I found in, in my research is, although more women are studying STEM-related fields, Sangeeta says that 40% of them quit 
within five to seven years, a higher rate than men. And you say Mm -hmm. the reasons women are leaving are not what we think, that it's not compensation benefits and work-life balance. What are the reasons? They're leaving, right? They come in, they're about equal. They don't stay, though, you know, and that's where you're you're helping, right? Yeah. And, you know, um, we're looking at uh, the behavior data. We're not surveying people. I feel like survey is good data, but it requires a lot of survey to get accurate data. But behavioral data, like I can say something, but what I go do is something different. And so when people are asking questions, we categorize them in navigational questions or career questions. And we clearly see this trend that career-related questions are um, coming through, a lot of them beginning of their career up to four years. And after the four years, it drops like a rock. All navigational questions start coming through. And, uh, and, and so we see that. And, uh, and, and the kinds of things that uh, uh, we address on the Gotara platform, um, are you being valued for the work you do? Are you being marginalized? Do you have growth opportunities? Are you being dumped on at work? These are the kinds of things that are sensitive on how you feel. And and so we provide them data. We provide them data and logic, how to work with uh, their um, environment, their managers, their leadership. So we don't go, uh, I mean, we can have activism as well, but we want to figure out what the system is and how it works. Nobody is intentionally trying to do anything. So mm-hmm. how about you have a conversation? One of the best examples I just recently saw was this engineering engineering leader with 16 years of experience, was having issues with her manager because she could never um, uh, get on the same page and she was struggling. And she felt like the manager was just not listening to her and you shouldn't be listening to her. And uh, so after we... Um, we worked with her and she went through a couple of skills. Uh, One of them was having tough conversations where she now took his point of view very clearly and restated it back to him and then talked about a bunch of recommendations she was making. Uh, To her surprise, after that approach, her manager accepted 80% of her recommendations. She was shocked. Mm. Interesting. So it yeah. wasn't the manager was bad. You needed to have the right kind of conversation. Yeah. And you needed to have the right kind of data and the logic. Right, right. To appeal to him and his own sort of language, yeah. I guess. So, yeah. so this approach this approach really works because a lot of people in technical data fields can be introverted and, yes. and they don't really care for the executive presence and how you dress and how right. you groom yourself. They feel empowered by data and logic. Yes. That's what we give them. Yes. I understand that. Yeah. I think I told you I was mar- I'm married to an engineer, so it yeah. does help <laughs> in a long marriage to uh, come, come to him with, with that information when I want, when I want yeah. agreement, right? Uh, but yeah, I, I listed some of the reasons you said non-supportive manager, lack of opportunities, lack of recognition, lack of communication, lack of uh, remote work opportunities, not being heard. Mm-hmm. These are all reasons that, yeah. you know, these women and prob- probably men that are in STEM too, right? Um, oh, yeah. You know, yeah. But, but these women, you know, have a tendency to kind of quietly go away if they're not supported in this way. So let's right, talk right. about it. So- so, so some of the things that we are talking about, I'm not saying that men don't experience that. They do. Yes, of course. But women leave 
the organization at twice the rate as men do. Right. So, and that's Especially what you're in addressing. This field. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you're Especially addressing. And I love yeah. the behavior uh, data that you're you're doing here because I think this is really th- that's probably the I think what you're doing is very cool and wonderful. But I mean the behavior data mm-hmm. when you could really synthesize that and then yeah. bring it back and to it, the women and companies. Yeah, and at aggregated level, it can tell you a lot. Yes. You get so much insight. Yeah. And the thing is, you know, companies can have great um, uh, unconscious bias training, policies, and all the right intentions, but nobody can police the conversations that are one-on-one or happy hour or lunch hours. And and the woman sees this once, twice, thrice, and they're out. Yeah. yeah. They don't talk to anyone about they it. Just they just quietly leave. leave. Yeah. That's that's the yeah. really neat thing about this. So you you're at Amazon. You the pandemic is happening, and you decide um, you know that. I guess what I wonder about is what kind of real world evidence did you see uh, about this gender inequity in STEM that made you want to do this? What did you see? So uh, I'll tell you the truth. Uh, I saw gender inequality throughout my career, and but I, I mean, I could only impact it in so many ways. And I clearly saw an inflection point in my career where I could start changing the rules, where I could do some things, and uh, which I was not able to do before. Um, but uh, one thing that I observed was that it needed to be done at scale one-on-one mentoring and coaching was not going to scale ever. And the second thing that I saw was um, organizations began to put their money where their mouth was. Uh, It was the right time. If I had launched the same company 10 years ago, I don't think there'll be as much interest in this. It, it, It is no longer a check in the box. The diversity positions increased over 300% over the last few years. Mm. Um, And then I started seeing some of the companies I work for putting um, their resources in, hiring people, putting their money in to run programs. It clearly told me that I can have a sustainable business. Yeah. And that was the point. That was the time I decided to quit. That's that's great. Um, And you talked about, you know, starting the company, um, in one article I found, you said, Sangeeta admits that the startup life isn't for the faint of heart. Here, here, I would agree with that. Building an enterprise platform that scales to millions doesn't happen without a few hiccups. Even though you'd spent a lot of years in the corporate world as an executive, what would you say about a startup would have been the hiccups? Um, uh, startups is absolutely a hard thing to do. Yes, it is. You need to have the determination and grit, um, and you will have missteps and you should be ready to pivot as quickly as you can. And if you start with a vision and a mission, we are a mission driven company. And if you start with a mission and you're not willing to change how you get there, uh, you might not succeed. And so ability to quit pivot and um, an ability to listen to the customers and the people you're serving is very, very critical. Mm-hmm. So um, I wanted to have a B2C business. 
and what I realized that it is not going to be sustainable. We will not be able to get enough women to pay for services, even if it is $100 a year. Mm-hmm. We're not going to get that. And in order for us to be sustainable, I realized that the employers will. In, in yes. fact, many, many of the employers said, if you ran a program like this for us, we would be interested in it. Yeah, they'll pay for it. And so within, within two months of that, Within two months of that, we actually started launching our first pilot of uh, B2B programs. Mm. And, um, and, and, you know, a lot of times you get a no from, uh, from your customers. A yes. lot of times you get really hard <laughs> feedback. So even though our feedback has been awesome, we actually have dashboards, daily dashboards that we look at. Mm-hmm. And um, anytime, you know, you go through ups and downs in the business, anytime I feel down, I just go back to my uh, dashboard and read some of the feedback we are getting where we are helping women tremendously. And they'll tell you that I've been working for 15 years and this is the most concrete advice I've ever gotten. Mm. And and, and many, many um, uh, pieces of testimonials like that. So it makes you feel good and it keeps you going. Um, In working in a corporate world where I had big budgets, so I didn't have, if the company wanted to work on something, I had the money. Yes. Here I had to worry about money also, not just doing what we want to do, but how am I going to sustain this business? It's an important part. Yeah, understood. that balance is very, very critical. Yeah. You have a couple of quotes here. You touched on the rule breaking, and I I just want to make these quotes and... um, uh, this is this is good stuff, uh, and I want to want to go here. Rules are made by people. This is you talking. They're human beings, and sometimes they make wrong rules, and we have to fix them, and we have to change them. At some point in your career, you hit an inflection point where you're truly empowered. You don't have to ask for permission, and you also say, as a leader, you've got to be bold, and sometimes to be bold, you have to break the rules. So really cool statements, but. You know, and I've broken rules in my career. I've not asked for permission. It's risky and we can get into trouble, right? Yeah. Yeah, you do. You take calculated risks. Um, I actually don't call it uh, breaking the rules. I call it changing the rules. Um, That's convenient. (laughs) (laughs) Is that what they call it? (laughs) are the people who are making all the rules, whether it is in the company or in the Congress, in the Senate, the Constitution, it's the people in power, right? And um, they're going to make the rules that they're comfortable with, they have grown up with, and they may not have a very different viewpoint. Diversity of thought is so critical uh, in any decision, and it can be course corrected. I mean, even our constitution keeps getting course corrected. Uh, So why shouldn't the rules of business, why shouldn't the rules of uh, uh, society continue to change Mm -hmm. as we understand what what does success mean and what does happiness mean? What does motivation mean? All of those things uh, may require a little bit different solution than the solution that our forefathers or foremothers decided were the right ones uh, 500 or 1,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, uh, so, um, so I, I, I kind of pick and choose. I don't, I'm not an activist where I look at everything and say everything is wrong. It right. isn't. 
Right. Majority of the stuff is actually working. There are few things that need to change, and and those are the ones you focus on. And when you're yeah. in position of power, you have the capability to change. And right. yeah. and and the first time when I did that, um, it felt really good. I had a job where. Um, I inherited an organization with 17 people reporting to me. They're all men globally. And I just assumed it's a technical organization. Probably women are not there. And I asked my HR person to identify um, if there are any women. And lo and behold, 50% of the organization was women. I said, where are they? So I said, find 10, uh, sorry, three senior most women who are top talent. And I'm going to interview them. And I said, I'm going to experiment. And mm -hmm. I gave them double promotions to report to me directly. Within a year, they were my top five. Yeah. Yeah, it helps to be um, in power and have some clout, you know. You know, when you're 25 years old and you're new in your career, to try to, you know, say, hey, we need to change this is not always popular among the command and control, kind of like, hey, here's the way we do it. You know, big corporation, right? But, uh, you know, you took, you played your spots. You had your spots where you... You know, you said, hey, this doesn't make sense or we need to do it this way. And it sounds like people listened. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and this was an organization that really needed transformation. And I literally said, you got to leave me alone yeah. if you want me to do this. Right. And, uh, right. and I'm going to take independent decisions. Right. And I did. And it worked. It worked for me. It worked for them. So they were happy. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, you're you're clearly, clearly very bright and driven. and. Um, you know, tell me about your background. You grew up in India. Uh, when did you come to the U.S.? Your your dad sounds like he encouraged you as much as your brothers. So talk about your background. Yeah, so I grew up in India. Um, went to a school um, uh, that was the ratio of uh, men to women was hundred to one. Mm. Great for dating, but mm. not so great otherwise. Mm. But I got used to it, and I grew up with my two older brothers, and so I had to fight for everything with them. So mm. I was kind of used to it. Yeah. <laughs> and I came to US when I was about twenty years old, and uh, and so I grew up in the US and uh, from the perspective of gender equality, it wasn't really any different. It was the same, um, whether I was in graduate school or I was working. And, um, and I always had this inner uh, need to do something about it. And I did it in small ways when I was uh, working in each one of the companies. Um, and then I decided um, in 2020 that it was about time. And the pandemic hit and I was, uh, in some ways, so a pandemic did a lot of bad things and it impacted us too in some ways. But uh, what I would say was when I was deciding to actually quit and go on my own, I knew I would be working from home and I had never worked from home. And I would say, oh, I feel so lonely. What will I do? Um, and the whole world started working with me <laughs> at home. So it felt like this camaraderie that everybody's experiencing the same thing I am. Right. So it's, it's no longer, it's actually cool to work from home now. Yeah, it so <laughs> it wasn't cool before. Now right. it is cool. I right. like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, uh, well, I, I'm a baby boomer, so I'm in the 60s and for me, it, I, I do better if I kind of dress up, go into the office, and I feel more productive. And I do think you miss some culture, definitely. Uh, oh, yeah. When you're, when you're all working from home, you miss sort yeah. of a culture. So yeah. but it's part of our world. I think it will, is here to stay. Yeah, yeah. true. Um, 
Give me a story about gender bias. You've been with a lot of these companies, male dominated, you know, um, you, you know, sometimes it's subtle, sometimes it's not so subtle. Do you have a story you could share about gender bias and what happened? So, you know, um, I, I think I got lucky um, because I had a sponsor at GE and I've had really good men mentors and coaches, mentors mostly. Um, and it helped me um, because some of the stories I hear on my platform, I never experienced them. Mm -hmm. So I now feel that it is actually worse than, than what I went through. Mm. Uh, so, uh, so that is, that is truly fascinating. And maybe it is because I have a little thicker skin. So things don't bother me as much. Mm -hmm. And so I don't really pay attention to it. And I have like selective memory of remembering only good things and forgetting about the bad ones. So I have a hard time actually finding <laughs> examples, right. uh, but I'll give you one example. Um, I was at a turning point where I was looking for a different role in, in the company I was working at. And I was doing exploratory interviews and I was asked to go talk to this uh, senior leader. Um, and as I was talking to him, he was like, he looked at me and he said, uh, for an Indian person, uh, you are very ambitious. And most of the Indian people want to be in technical fields. You want to be a leader. And I just looked at him and I just stopped and I, I, I didn't know what to say. So I said, are you complimenting me or you're insulting me? <laughs> <laughs> and, and that was it. And I, even if he decided to give me a job, I did not want to take the job because I just felt uh, annihilated by that question. Yeah, it's a, it's a bias. Like, I mean, he's even stating it. It's not even, exactly. it's not even like he's hiding it. Um, exactly. And he's may exactly. not be conscious of it, right? Unconscious bias. Like, you know, all, yeah. all the other folks that are of Indian descent uh, are like this, you know, yeah, you're not. Exactly. Yeah, you're not. <laughs> and, and another time, uh, I was really interested in a job and, uh, normally in my career, if I was interested in something, I would at least get a get an interview, talk to somebody. In this one, I didn't even get to talk to the leader, and I couldn't understand it. So I went to my HR leader and asked them, "What's going on? I don't understand this." So the response I got surprised me. Was by the time you're at this level, it's no longer about your performance because all people who are competing with you are performing at the same level. Mm -hmm. Everybody's doing great, which makes sense. The thing that differentiates uh, yeah, one from the other is how comfortable the leader is with you. So I said, oh, okay. I'm a female and I'm a woman of color. I didn't grow up in this country, so I don't have a lot of commonality. How mm -hmm. are they going to get comfortable with me? Yeah. Okay, I got my signal. Move on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not here, right? <laughs> Not here. Your dad encouraged you as much as he encouraged your brothers, right? Talk about talk about that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I would say I was lucky to have a father like I have. Um, we have four kids, two, two brothers and two sisters. Mm -hmm. I'm number three. So middle kids are always, uh, always feel like they don't get enough love, but we did. Uh, my dad was very, um, very specific in telling each one of us what he wanted each one of us to be. And it was high, like 
uh, high level of positions, high level of uh, education for each one of us. So it wasn't like that he had higher expectations for brothers and lower expectations for uh, for the sisters. Um, and my mom was a stay-at-home mom. Mm-hmm. But my sister and I, it never crossed our mind that we would not be working. Mm. I mean, we didn't have a choice. My dad expected us to work. Right. And to be as successful as our brothers. And I was the first person in my extended family to come to the U.S. And when I, when I was young, I was coming here, it was all about me. I made it happen. But one thing could have stopped me and I would have not done it. Because a lot of people said, oh, at this age, you're trying to uh, marry off your daughters. And why are you sending your daughter? And in fact, my grandfather, my father's father, said that you send uh, sons seven seas away, not your daughters. Mm, yeah. And I never knew my dad did not share that with me. Yeah. He sent me. And just a few years before, we were both speaking at a college. I spoke and then he spoke. And when he shared that, I said, oh my God, I didn't even know that these were the hurdles that you passed through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I didn't even know about it. And so one misstep in my life and my family life or in my career I wouldn't be where I am today. And I'm truly, truly thankful to my dad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a great, uh, great dad who treated his kids equally, you know, despite the gender differences. So um, there is a quote uh, that you liked on LinkedIn by Brene Brown, which in which she says, she's one of my favorites, true belonging doesn't require you to change who you are. It requires you to be who you are. So how have you been authentic to yourself and what would you say to women about this? This is what I'll say. Most people will say, I'm a pretty straightforward person. Uh, I don't have any agenda behind, um, hidden agenda. People uh, people can trust me. They will see what I am. Um, and that has hurt me at times. I know I've hit a ceiling as a result of uh, that, uh, that I speak my mind. But I feel like that's my strength. Yeah, that is what I, that is how I've been able to make changes. When I ta- was talking earlier about breaking the rules and changing the rules, I've been able to change the rules because of who I am. And so being you will help you sometimes and will hurt you sometimes. Yeah. And know that mm-hmm. and know that because you can't change the whole society in one go. Right. It will change slowly. And sometimes you may be wrong. You right? have to accept that too. <laughs> you might, you're speaking. My my husband says he was wrong at the top of his lungs. <laughs> so that's what you're talking about. You know that we think yeah. we're right. We speak up, yeah. and yet we might we might not be right. But that's yeah. been yeah. kind of the a big part of my career is speaking up. And often yeah. when nobody else, ever, you know, other people in the room can see it, and I can tell they're kind of looking at me like, yeah, here he goes again. You know, and I'm the one who speaks up, you know, and there is a, yeah. often a price to pay. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. And and the thing is, you, you know, we are in tech and data fields and we experiment all the time. Mm-hmm. How many experiments fail before the right one works where you file a patent? Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. So you should be ready to fail a few times before the right one sticks. Right. Yeah, just take the risk and and just do it. And sometimes say what has to be said. If you, you know, if you if you see something, you say something. 
you know, is what I've heard uh, from another guest, uh, Barbara Turner yes. at Ohio National. <laughs> See something, say something, you know, mm-hmm, and it's mm-hmm. it actually is rare, not just not just mm-hmm. women, but men and women. People kind of go along. I'm not going to speak up. You know, the people that speak up are are more rare, uh, but they're yeah. needed. They're needed. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I observed in a situation where we were reviewing a bunch of uh, promotions and uh, men and women both, for similar things, women got dinged for, oh, they need to earn trust before they break the boundaries. They need to earn trust to be able to do that. Whereas the guy, when they broke the boundaries and did that, they said, oh, he thinks big. Right. Yeah. And I pointed it out to um, the leadership. Mm hmm. And I don't know if it, has stu- if it stuck or not, but I did point out. <laughs> you just the messenger. You know, it's a yeah. double standard, you know, uh, and that I think that's probably what's coming out of your data science uh, from your work is these companies have blind spots around these double standards. Yeah. You think? Blind, blind spot is the right word to use because nobody's intentionally trying to do this. No, they're not, not trying, but it's like, oh, I hadn't even thought about that. We're saying this about mm-hmm. him, but we're saying this to her. And we want to keep her. So what do we need to do to keep her? So yeah. it's it's really great work you're doing. Um, so Thank as you. we as we wrap up here, I'm just uh, my last question to you would be: What are your growth plans for Gotara? What are the big goals? Say five years from now, what do you want to what do you want to see? So our goal uh, five years out or ten years out uh, is to make a dent in uh, gender equality, gender parity uh, in the STEM plus fields, wow. um, and and you know save some money for the employers. We u- lose nine billion dollars a year just in the U.S. alone mm-hmm. when women quit and we have to replace them. Right. Turnover is, um, is expensive, very expensive to business. It's very expensive. So, I, I mean, imagine uh, what uh, what startup actually creates a win-win situation for everybody involved. The women who are the participants and the members, the employers, the society, and Gotara. Everybody wins when one wins. Yes, right. Yeah. And and that's that's our goal. So we are hoping to get as many employers sign up with us uh, to help them. And uh, and and what we are hoping is the return on investment for the metrics that we have will clearly show each one of them that it's not just the right thing to do. It's the right business thing to do. If you want yes. to be a so I will say to the leaders of the organization who are not uh, not necessarily diverse or they could be diverse that this is an important part of your strategy and organization mm-hmm. where diversity of thought and retaining women and helping them grow is going to make you a bigger leader, make you a trailblazer, make you a talent magnet, and you can differentiate yourself from others. But in the time of market downturn that we are going through, the companies that are doing that are going to be ahead of their competition. So which one do you want to be? Right. Yeah. I mean, we can talk diversity, equity, inclusion. We can form committees, but wh- what are you doing about it? And yeah. and what are you telling the women that you're hiring that you're doing about it? If they yeah. have something like this, you know, where they're like yeah. saying, "Here's how we support you." You're like, "Hey, yeah. I like Show it." Proof. You know? Show proof yeah. that you're doing stuff and it is making a difference, not just for the individual but for the company too, right. both ways. Yeah, I love it. Well, our listeners can find you on LinkedIn at D Sangita, and your website is Gotara, 
G-O-T-A-R-A.com. And I want to thank you for joining me today. Uh, it's just been wonderful to get to know you and see your career and this initiative that's making a difference for women in STEM and, you know, who might be thinking about, you know, leaving their companies, but have decided not to leave based on your support. So thanks for everything you're doing. Thank you, Susan, for hosting me. And this was a wonderful conversation. And uh, clearly, we are like-minded people. And I think together with people like you and the whole bunch of employers and a whole bunch of uh, women like us, I think we can make a difference. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leading She. Please check out many other Leading She episodes, which are wonderful. We discuss challenges these accomplished women have overcome in their careers. Please subscribe to this podcast and rate it and review it. Follow Leading She on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And visit our website, leadingshe.com, where we have ideas and wisdom for women leaders.